Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over a hundred different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. On today's podcast episode, I'm excited to have fellow mindfulness teacher from UCLA's Semmel Institute of Neuroscience and Human Behavior, Narosha Ruwanis. Narosha is a lawyer and entrepreneur She's the founder of Coding for Treasure, a coding school for kids, and The Mindful Bug, a company that provides mindfulness instructions for students of all ages. Not only is Narosha a lawyer and an entrepreneur, but she is a mother of two daughters and a Girl Scout troop leader. So settle into our conversation about mindfulness and how Narosha practices mindfulness in her own life and how she is passionate about sharing this resource and tool for students. Welcome to the podcast, Narosha. I'm so excited to be here. I'd love to hear what does self-care mean to you and what does that currently look like as a mom, as somebody who's in the mindfulness world, as a working professional? I think right now um, the threshold is very low for me because I'm. it's almost in survivor mode um, between... Um, trying to do my job, having taken care of my kids, and just kind of the worldwide pandemic, political anxiety. So I feel like for me right now, if I can um, even do a walk, like a walk every day, um, a few minutes doing something that is connecting with somebody outside of my work or my family, like to me, it's really important to like spend some time connecting with a friend and meditate. Like those are my, those are what I hope to do every day. But th- like I said, the threshold is very low. If I do one of those, I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm at least taking care of myself a little bit. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been pretty crazy. I feel like the last, I can't believe it's almost been a year now that this has been going on. Yeah. I mean, I am not a parent yet and I throw my hat out to all of the parents out there right now during the pandemic, trying to work from home, homeschool, take care of themselves, take care of other family members. It's a lot right now. And so I'm hearing for you, your practices are meditation, a daily walk and connecting to someone outside of your immediate working or uh, family circles. And if you can just do then one of them one day, you're like, okay, yay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. How do you 
make sure you fit in at least one of those practices? I think the one thing that I'm most consistent with is meditation. And that's because I've made it almost non-negotiable. I actually learned meditation when I was pretty young. It was kind of um, something I did when I was going through a hard time. I really needed it. I learned these practices and I could use it, but I never did it on a daily basis. It was only, I would say, probably about four or five years ago when things were really, really bad for me. And I felt like I needed, I really, really, really needed to take care of myself. And I found that I, a daily practice, only a daily practice would get me the kind of the, the resources, the mental resources that I needed to like overcome kind of the difficulties I was going through. And I had a really hard time starting a daily practice because things always got in the way. Like, you know, every, every, every day I was like, oh, today I can't do it. I just went out for drinks with a friend and I'm kind of tipsy. I can't do a daily practice right now. Or mm-hmm. like, you know, I ha- I'm so tired today or it's so cold or there's always something come, came up. So for me, um, making it non-negotiable, I just decided, you know what, I can't, I, I need this. I need, I need this or I need to take like some drugs, right? So it was like, if I, I'm going <laughs> to use this, I, I'm going to use this for my like, my my alternative to doing something like like getting like medicated or like therapy or something i just need to i need this every day so um i decided that no matter what no matter what no matter how drunk i was no matter how tired i was no matter how cold i was i would make sure i would meditate every day and i, I set the time as um before i went to bed so it wasn't a specific time but like the time just i had to do it before i went to bed mornings are too crazy for me it was like with kids going you know, kids getting kids ready for school and just, I'm not a morning person anyway. So I decided that uh, before I went to bed, I have to meditate every day. And I did, I like, no matter what, like it's, and it, it, like after I, I first did it, like I was going to do it for hundred days and then I did hundred days and then I did it like 200 days. And then I just, I kept doing it. I think I finally missed the day when I was like um, traveling to Sri Lanka on a plane. And I like, it was, I think, I don't know if it even counts because like, I think I literally missed the day too, because you know, like we went through the, so I don't <laughs> the know if that counts as, as things. So I missed that day. And then the other day I missed, I got kind of like a little bit like type A about this. I'm like, I don't want to miss it now. The other day I missed, day where I missed was like, I think I like had a massage and I fell asleep. And I was like, oh, darn it, I missed my streak. <laughs> so, um, but then eventually like it got to the point of not being like competitive about my streak, but like I really noticed such a big difference mm. in, my, um, in my sleep, first of all, you know? Cause like <clears throat> one of the things that reasons I didn't want to meditate before I went to sleep is because it was already so late. I was already so tired. I was like, I don't want to take more time. I'm already, it's already 11, I have to go to sleep. But then I realized like, hey, if I go to sleep at 11, I'm not going to have as good sleep if I waited till like a little, like 11.30 and I meditated, um, I'll actually sleep better and I'll feel better about it. So I think that those benefits kind of became apparent to me. It became its own like motivation to continue. Mm, yeah. Tell me what other benefits you notice by having this sustainable and consistent evening, it sounds like meditation practice. My mornings the next day were I feel like more productive. Mm. Um it's hard to explain because it's not really directly connected to the night meditation, but I think it just kind of clears your mind. Like you're not, you're not going to sleep with all the stresses and the burns and the thoughts of the day before. So you're not actually like, you're not stuck with those thoughts the entire night. I think somehow you cleanse your mind of that and you sleep very restfully. So in the morning you uh, wake up, I woke up more refreshed, um, relaxed. And um, I, I, always, I found that my productivity was increasing during the day. I also found that even just doing an uh, evening practice helped me, um, like, motivated me to 
bring that kind of discipline to other parts of my life too, other parts of my day. So uh, after I was like, you know, I did this, I, I managed, it was kind of like a kind of a personal victory, you know, like I managed to do, because I'm not a very disciplined person. So I was like, I managed to do this thing every day. I created a habit and all this change happened. So the next thing I had to overcome in terms of like productivity is like being distracted with online news, social media. So I did kind of something similar with that. And I, I would say my evening daily practice helped me give me kind of the discipline to do this. So I decided that um, I was going to be um, kind of disciplined about like during the day, I won't do um, Facebook or I won't do online news. I haven't been as successful with that. That kind of hasn't really worked out well, but at least for periods of time, like weeks at a time, I was able to like kind of focus during the day by kind of instituting that same discipline. So it sounds like discipline for you has been a key to creating this ritual but I'm curious, like, tell me more about, cause you said this earlier of how the discipline you were, you were motivated to be competitive with yourself in the beginning, you know, get that hundred day streak, get that 150 day streak, you know, whatever it is. But then you said it starts to change to something else. So what shifted when it shifted from that, let me be competitive to what? I think it's when you start seeing the tangible benefits to your life and you feel it it becomes mm. real because otherwise you know especially if you're starting out with meditation you hear you read about you read about it oh it's so good for you people tell you like the science sells you like oh it's gonna create xyz benefit reduce my stress you know etc etc so like i have to do this i have to do it because it's good for me but honestly like to see if you try it a few days, it's not, you're not going to see the effect right away. You really aren't. I mean, you might have on a cellular level, you might have some changes starting, but you're not going to really see it. It takes a long time. It could take months to actually start feeling the effect. So I think it's helpful when you have something um, like either like the discipline that I brought upon myself or something like that. But at some point, um, if it works for you, I'm like, I, I'm not someone who pushes this on everybody. It doesn't work for everybody, right? It, it, mindfulness is very effective for me. It might not be effective for everyone, but it works for me. It worked for me. And it took me a, a few months. And then I realized I could actually feel like super tangible benefits. And then like, now I do it not because I don't even, I actually stopped doing those apps that count your streaks because I felt like that was just like distracting me from doing it. So now I do it just purely because I know like so good for me. And I, like it's, it's, um, kind of essential for my mental health and my functioning now, I feel like, and mm. I can't, it's almost like I can't imagine functioning without it. I mean, I, I feel like I'm functioning on a different level now than I did before. I totally agree from my own personal practice. And I always say that meditation is the best medicine that I could be taking. And when I don't take my mindfulness meditation medicine and I have a morning practice, if they're consistent days that I'm missing it, oh boy, do I start to feel the difference. I am way more irritable. I'm like, I feel more emotional. I feel less present. I even notice I snack more because I'm just kind of in this mindless flow, autopilot flow versus being a, a little bit more present and feeling a little bit more at choice. I'd love to hear, Norsha, like how do you connect your mindfulness practice to your work as a lawyer? Well, in two ways, I think one is like just personally, um, when I, when I'm trying to focus on a task with, with my law practice, I have two different types of kind of work that I do most of the days. One, one type of task is one-on-one where I'm just like writing something or drafting something or responding to something without interacting with others. So with that, it really helps to have that focus. And uh, it's just the basics of mindfulness is like when a thought or distraction comes up, whether it's a notification on my phone or somebody else talking, I just have to go back 
to what I'm working on. So this is it's like kind of basic um, attention, like bare attention practice. So that that help, that practice actually helps with that task a lot. Um, the second type of work I do is talking with people. I spend a lot of time like negotiating on calls, on person sometimes, and in the before times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that for for that, I just it helps me. Mindfulness is not so much of paying attention, but it's about staying centered because when you're negotiating with an illegal setting or you're with sometimes business people, it can get very frustrating. People kind of get under your skin. People get angry. There's a lot of emotions. And I find that I can really stay centered. It doesn't really, things don't, it doesn't really bother me. Like what people say, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't throw me off balance. I just kind of stick to what I was thinking. So those interpersonal skills really helps me. Like I think mindfulness practices really help me. And people always say like, I'm the least stressed lawyer they've ever met because I just like, I just don't, it doesn't, things don't really stress me out that much in terms of law. The other kind of way that my law practice and my mindfulness have kind of intersected is that I now teach uh, mindfulness at my law firm. So um, I kind of brought that in. I mean, my, uh, my law firm was aware and supported me while I got my certification at UCLA on mindfulness training. So I wanted to bring that back, you know, because they supported me doing that. So I, um, I offered to teach weekly classes. And that's been really great, too. It was first, it was a little uncomfortable, because, you know, I think of sometimes I think of like, meditation, mindfulness, and my friends and people I do mindfulness with is kind of like, kind of like very separate from like my professional life. And I'm like, do I want to like close my eyes with everybody and like do these meditations? Um, So it was a little awkward at first, just because it was like, I'm I'm also their lawyer. I'm a colleague there, you know. So it was definitely awkward at first, but I I just I kept it very. I you know I chose the topics and the program to make it very like workplace friendly, and I did things like stress relief and focusing, and I didn't. I kind of avoided too many um, you know compassion practices and things that other other aspects of mindfulness that which are I think also useful for a work setting, but it, you know just maybe it takes a little longer to get to that point. So now I find it it's really it's it's really great, and people responded very positively positively to it as well so um, I think lawyers need mindfulness more than I love that what benefits are you noticing from bringing mindfulness into the law firm especially through managing COVID in the year that was 2020 I think people needed a lot I think everyone you know everyone uh, lawyers and everyone really working from home or even people who are going into off uh, going in person these days is such a stressful time um so much anxiety, there's so much stress. And there's the tendency to separate kind of your work life with kind of things like anxiety and stress. So I think by bringing bringing mindfulness into the workplace, you're making it okay. And people realizing that, hey, this is this is a work issue. This is something we all feel. There's not something like nothing wrong with you. You don't want to hide it. It's not something personal and like, you know, that you need, you need some help outside of workplace. This is part of your job, especially now, like now in these COVID times, this is real. This is like, this is part of what you're doing is like dealing with these stressful things. So I think there's a little bit of integration there. And I think I would encourage um, work, all workplaces to bring mindfulness into, um, into their employees' lives because it just, it, it, I would say integration is the most thing. It integrates like kind of your personal to your professional in a way that's very healthy. And, and helps with productivity too. Mm-hmm. I love that you just mentioned giving per- people permission to f- be stressed, right? That they are human and that's okay to feel stressed in the workplace. Because what I've noticed when I facilitated mindfulness 
in the workplace and corporations is sometimes there's this facade or this mask people feel like they have to wear that, you know, no, I've got my shit together. I'm not stressed or I'm not burnt out or like, you know, no, I've got everything handled and blah, blah, blah. Right. But then it, it, that feeling that they have everything together makes them tense up even more. And we know what happens eventually, right? You either kind of have a breakdown or the burnout happens. And so to give people a space and permission to slow down, to connect like, oh, hey, you're stressed. I'm stressed too. Oh, cool. Like let's be stressed together. Let's have a culture that, that makes it not okay to be stressed, but it normalizes it. As you just said, I think is so powerful. Tell me a little bit about the mindful bug and how you're using mindfulness at home with your children. So mindful bug actually started pretty much like the first days of the pandemic in March, where I just was at a loss to what to do. And the only thing I could think of was to meditate. And I just wanted to connect and bring that to other people. So I, I just started with a few friends, actually. I just like uh, email people and say, Hey, do you want to, do you want to do this at um, a certain time? It was five 30 every day. And it was, we like, we literally did it every day. And then I got more and more people to come. And then I, you know, I got some local people in the community as well, but I didn't never really advertise it um, too much. It was more, it was a free 15 minutes. I kept it 15 minutes because, um, you know, that's the time that people feel like it's not too much commitment and people were willing to come. If I, I think if it was even 30 minutes, it's like, it seems too much. But because everyone was, I think it was like this collective like trauma that, you know, like we didn't know what was happening. There was so much anxiety. Um, it helped me more probably like as much, if not more than anybody else having that every day because it gave me something to do. And my my kids, like I, <laughs> I got them involved because I didn't want them to interrupt my sessions. So I they both had their little computers. I was like, okay, you're going you're gonna to be both on. And they, that was the beginning of Zoom times, right? So it was not like everyone had so much Zoom. So it was exciting for them. I'm not, I'm not a very like a parent who gives a lot of screen time. So when I give like, I'm like, okay, you guys could be on this. So we were all in separate parts of the house and um, we had a mascot, uh, mindful bug. It, it wasn't a bug actually. I had a little teddy. I, had a, I have a, I have a um, mediteddy, a meditating teddy bear. So mediteddy also, I have a lot of, also had, his own Zoom screen. So we had like four Zoom <laughs> Zoom screens from my house. And that also helped me because when I was like, I was like, if nobody shows up, I already have four people, you know? <laughs> so I was, I felt very comfortable. You know, as you know, as a facilitator, there's always like, kind of always have full, before any session, like, will anybody show up? But I didn't, I didn't worry. I already had Teddy right. and I had like two kids, so I was fine. <laughs> so you had it, your audience it. packed. And it, it was like, um, so then some of my other friends also brought their kids too. Um, and then I decided to do like a separate one just for the kids, just for kids as well. So it kind of grew out of that. And it was, I think it was, it was, it was really helpful, even just, just the same effect that it had for me having this regular, like, I mean, it was daily in the very beginning. At some point it became like during the summer, I started doing it weekly, but when it was daily, it was just really like, okay, we have something at some time you have to do. And we also saw the same people and something like that routine. And then just introducing everyone to mindfulness and just having the, having the breathe together, just having the space. I think one of the most useful things of the exercise is probably not even the mindfulness. It's just the connection, you know, because at that, at that point, we were just seeing people. We were, that was when, when the pandemic first hit, it was everybody just stayed at home, right? It wasn't like everything was canceled. It was, there was nothing in person at all. So um, just the reassurance of like that human connection that we're all going together and also normalizing it, the fact that everyone was freaking out, I mean, everybody, and I was freaking out. And then just seeing like, okay, everybody else is freaking out, people, friends are freaking out, you know, so that it was like, it made it like a collective experience rather than just like a personal experience. 
Um, so that's how that started. And then I've been, since then I've been doing, I did, I kind of expanded to do some workshops. I've been doing like a, a mindful mindfulness and yoga workshop with a yoga teacher and done some corporate workshops. So yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm planning to do more. Um, I have so many things I want to do. <laughs> I have no number of time, but um, I want to do more with that. that that's, that's on my, that's on my list of to-do list. Do you ever invite your girls to come do mindfulness with you in your daily practice? In the evening, uh, some, I do it with them before I go to bed, before they go to bed, sorry. And I, I kind of introduce it to them a little bit. I don't want to push it on them just because like, I don't want, you know, you kind of rebel against whatever your parents do, right? So <laughs> I don't want to be like, I'm like, you know, so like just a little bit, like a minute or something. I do it at for myself at night after they go to sleep. That just gives me the space to do it. So I don't really involve them in my my daily practice, but I, I try to um, I try to do like guided meditations for them. In fact, when I first started learning to be a facilitator, they were they were like my only audience. So that's how my first my very first mindfulness practices was them. So they they've had a lot of like me um, guiding them and things like that. But I, I try not to push it too strongly. I love it. Yes, you don't want them to rebel against a really <laughs> helpful coping strategy and and practice. But it sounds like you're modeling it, making sure that you're integrating into your life as well as planting seeds wherever they may get sown. Tell us a little bit about your book, Mind Over Scatter, How to Conquer Any Test with Sharper Focus and Less Stress. I think the title just says it all, but I feel like we could all be using these skills. So I'd love to hear some more. Yeah. So um, I'm really super excited about this book. I've been working on it for the last year and finally ready to launch. I think hopefully it will be out next month. It came about because I, during uh, teaching mindfulness. I've done a lot of teaching with students, um, high school and college students, especially. And I noticed that a lot of their stress is a, a, about two things. One is like love and relationships and dating. The second is about tests, like upcoming tests. And mindfulness is so, so helpful. Whenever they learn this tool, these students, especially college students and teenagers, they find it's so useful for their life. I've, I can see it firsthand. I can, I can, you know, they, they can acknowledge it. But the problem is students are too busy. They don't want to like learn mindfulness in the abstract. It's kind of like, that sounds nice, good to know, but we don't have time, right? So I wanted to connect mindfulness with something that they have to do anyway, or that they can see a concrete benefit. So mm. kids, uh, students care about tests. They have tests coming up. Everyone's tests to take these standardized tests. So by bundling, like kind of teaching mindfulness with something very concrete that they have to do anyway, or that they are kind of motivated to do, it really, it's like a mechanism for them to learn mindfulness. That's why I, I focused on test taking, not that there's anything so special about test taking, but I think it's the kind of, I think to get, to get that age group to really learn mindfulness, it's one way to like kind of bring them in because like, hey, this will help me with my test preparation. I can, you know, I'll do it that way as opposed to, hey, it'll make me like less stressed and like a nicer, happier person. Like, yeah, sure, I want to do that, but I don't really have time, you know? So that that was kind of my motivation of like going the testing direction. Um, plus I was really compelled by the research. Um, you know, I did, a, I, I wanted my book to be really research-based and based on the science and uh, research about, about like how, the practice of mindfulness can actually help performance on tests um, is pretty is was pretty compelling to me and I, I there weren't any other books that really talked about that so I was like kind of looking for something that that hasn't been really that explored but also has like a concrete benefits for students plus can like get kids who otherwise wouldn't be interested in mindfulness to to give it a try yeah I mean test taking when your student right is something you're doing every other week or multiple times a month regardless, you know, in various different subject levels. And I actually remember in college, the University of Michigan, 
my, one of my classes required us to start a meditation practice for, I think it was a six or eight week kind of stint to just kind of notice and be an experiment. And I noticed dramatic results of helping me with my anxiety around not testing per se, but for me, it was more like homework and assignments and just making sure I was staying on top of things. And, and so it's such a need for that age group, but I think planting those seeds when you're that age benefits you in the long term. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's my goal, like for anybody reading the book is to, for them to learn these skills for test-taking, but they can also apply Once you learn it, you can also apply it to anything else. Anytime else you want to try to accomplish a task when you're faced with anxiety or stress, you know, even since I've been a student testing, like you said, it's everywhere. It's, it's been, it's, you can't escape it. It's like, it's like every week they have a midterm and my, my kids are in elementary school and they have so many tests, you know? So I, I feel like it's, it's, um, it causes a lot of anxiety, you know, like it's like not just the test itself, but thinking about what that means like it affects your GPA it affects your ability to get to college like all that pressure goes into your head when you're trying to take a test and it actually affects your performance so if there's a way like you can you can separate your anxious thoughts the stress from actually focusing on the test itself or studying for the test then you can really have a breakthrough in your performance because you're no longer half your brain is not anxious or stressed and thinking about like the implications the consequences how you know the emotions like oh I'm going to fail all that and you can't, that takes up half your brain. So once you learn mindfulness, you learn to focus, acknowledge those thoughts, those emotions, not deny them, not trying to push them out, but just realize that they're there, but you can focus right now. What you need to do right now is focus on your task. It really, really can allow people's performance, students' performance to really improve, but in a way that's sustainable. It's not a way like, it's not like cramming. It's not like taking some sort of drug that helps you like focus and concentrate and not like taking too much caffeine. It's, it's, It's a very sustainable way to improve your performance. Well, I'm excited for your book to come out and for you to share it with the world. So keep us posted. Norsha, tell us and the audience where people can find you to learn more and to stay connected. Yes, my um, so mindful bug is www.themindfulbug.com, and I'll keep updated on my on my latest happenings there. And I will soon be having a website for my book too, but not quite done with that yet. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. If you know of a great guest for our show, feel free to send an email to team at centeredinthecity.org or sign up for my newsletter at wade at wadebrill.com. And of course, you can always check out the Center in the City platform at centerinthecity.org. Until next time, stay centered.